Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly, where we talk about current business events paired with our newsletter. This week's episode, Retail Investors Sit Out the Robinhood IPO. So last week, Robinhood made their IPO debut. It wasn't as exciting as they hoped for. Instead of getting the pop that a lot of big IPOs get, they ended up going down as far as 10%. I think at the end of the day at 8%. Closed at around a $29 billion market cap. They debuted around $32 billion. It wasn't, as they say, a successful IPO. I don't think it was a terrible IPO, but it wasn't successful. So I think when it comes to Robinhood as a company... Is this something that could be like a really great addition to someone's portfolio? I don't know. It's too early to tell. The IPO is one of the biggest debuts to date. I think they raised $2 billion at a pretty massive valuation. So I think around $30 billion. Now, normally in an IPO like that, the way to tell whether is it a successful IPO or not is if the shares pop. And, you know, there's two ways to think about that. One, if the shares pop, that means money was left on the table. So when an IPO happens, the banks are going around and they're pitching this stock to investors, like wealthy people, wealthy institutions, Goldman Sachs, you name it. Or it could be Goldman Sachs pitching like other institutions on the stock, like buy the stock, buy the stock. They come up with the price and they come up with the range. And then everyone settles on an IPO price. And then based on the pumped up demand, when the IPO debuts, if there's a lot of demand that's just sitting on the sidelines, the pop will happen, meaning there's a bunch of people who want more of the stock. And with that, obviously, the price continues to go up because it's a supply-demand thing. And you'll see sometimes stocks pop 30% or 40%. I think the average is 30% represents like a successful IPO. Now, with Robinhood, it did not happen that way. What ended up happening is that the stock dropped I think went down as much as 10%, which when you think about it is like not that big of a deal. Like it's a $30 billion company. It loses about 10% of its value. One could say that, well, it was already like super, super valued high. So there wasn't that much demand for it. The other way to think about it is that it was actually priced decently well. There was enough people who wanted it. There weren't people sitting on the sidelines. So the stock didn't like pop, but it also didn't drop. But from the standpoint of a headline for an IPO, like a successful IPO would be like IPO surges, stock opens up 20, 30%. And usually what happens is that people flip the stock. I mean, for me personally, like I'm a long-term investor, so I don't really care about flipping the stock. I do know that a lot of people buy the IPO because they do want to flip it, you know, and get that 30, 40%. I think that if you bought the stock, hold on to the stock. I mean, you're not down a ton of money. You also don't, it's not going up, so you just kind of watch it. And the way to watch it is over time, as the company announces their earnings and like what's happening with the company itself, do we think this thing is going to continue to add tens of millions of new users that are going to use the app to buy and sell stocks, buy and sell crypto, trade options? And does that continue to grow over time? 
you know, as I say, they democratize investing for the retail investor. So do more and more people keep on using this? Or did we just really go through that big initial growth and we're at that cap? Now, if they next quarter say that they've added millions of new users and the revenue is growing, great. Okay, this could be something. I mean, it's already something, like I said, it's a $30 billion company. Can it be a $100 billion company? Could it be a $60 billion company? It's unclear right now. Now, the way they make their money is from what's known as payment for order flow, which is basically how they allow us to buy and sell stocks and everything else with zero commission. Traditionally, you had the brokerage firms, discount brokers, where you would buy and trade stocks and they would charge you anywhere from like three bucks to like eight bucks per trade. And so like, you know, if you had $100 and you could buy one share of Apple and $100, you're paying $7 to buy that. That's 7% fee. So Apple would have to go up 7% for you to even make your money back. Now, obviously, those brokerages were not targeting someone who could only buy one share of stock and $100. They were thinking more like people who were trading tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Now, Robinhood came in and was like, we're going to democratize this. It should be zero fees on trades. Now, the only way you can get zero fees on trades is that you have to make money another way. So the way they, they make money is that they sell the orders that retail investors make on the platform to these high-frequency hedge funds. These high-frequency hedge funds are the ones that use like algorithm trading in like literally seconds. So what you're doing is they're selling the order to them, and these hedge funds are either buying or selling the orders that we're making, but like with a penny or two difference. So they're making like a spread. And so the more transactions that are made on the platform, the more money Robinhood makes. Now, is this a controversial practice? Sure. Should people be like, oh, that's bullshit? Not really. We're not talking about like dollars here. We're talking about like pennies. It's not really affecting your investment at all. But this is how you're able to pay no fees on it. So they have to make their money some way. Now, that's what happened when the whole GME debacle went down, where when you're doing something like that, okay, there's a third party there that's maybe influencing what potentially Robinhood would do. Now, the other thing to think about is that technically, if you ask me, what should you be doing? You should be doing long-term investing. You shouldn't be like trading and all this stuff. Not saying that you shouldn't, but I just, it's just stressful. I just think you can make more money if you buy and hold something. I I don't want to I don't want to go there again. I'm like a broken record where I've done this before where you trade in and out of a stock and then you forget about the stock and then you look at the stock like two, three years later, you're like, oh, I should have just kept that stock. You're less stressed in your life. You're not sitting there in the middle of the night, anxiety ridden, you know, sweating. Then you maybe start drinking. God knows what else you start doing when you have anxiety from trading and stuff and you're just obsessed with the price of the stock. Now, long-term investing doesn't necessarily really work for Robinhood. Because if you bought a stock once and then just didn't touch it for years, that means that they only sold like one order to a hedge fund. But if you're buying in and out of the stock, yeah, okay, that works better because now they're making pennies millions of times over like all those transactions. And that's how they really make their money. And actually the majority of money that Robinhood makes is not necessarily from people buying stocks. They're trading options. Now, options is way more complicated than buying a stock, but essentially there are these contracts that are like a promise to buy or sell a stock at a specific price. Just imagine you're like, oh, well, I want to buy the contract to potentially sell this company at X price. Now, that's something else to get into, but that causes a lot more transaction volume because options are done weekly and monthly. 
And then even like, you know, you could actually get options like six months out, but there's a time to it. So options expires, then people have to do it again. So it actually creates more transactions. And when there's more transactions, there's more money that Robinhood can make. Anyways, the question is, is this company democratizing investing? Well, they are because they've made it more accessible. They made it easier. But then are they democratizing investing or are they democratizing like, I don't want to say gambling, but they do make you want to like buy and sell stuff. From a product standpoint, I think Robinhood is an incredible company. I love the app. I think it's amazing. If you want education, it's there. It makes it fun. Like, yes, they've gamified it. It does make you want to buy and sell stuff. Not me, but I don't know. I think that's just general. When I think about people who are new to investing, you want to buy and sell. It's just fun. Like there's an excitement to it. Just like when you go to a casino, there's an excitement to like making money and then losing money and then wanting to make the money back. It's called having an addiction to gambling. I don't have one, but if I do go, you know, I definitely am the one who says, hey, I can only lose 300 bucks this weekend and I lose it and then I'm depressed and then I leave Vegas and I never want to go back. When I was younger, it was like, yeah, I could do it once a year. Now it's like every three years. It takes me three years to get over this. Lots of therapy, lots of hydration, and then I'm back and I lose again. But anyways, when it comes to Robin Hood, yeah, it's like a balance, right? So like you just go in there and think, if you're buying and selling stuff and you think, you know, you're hot shot trading, great. And then you lose money and over time you learn your lesson and then you just kind of realize what the difference between trading and investing and gambling is. And so, you know, we don't need to like hold people's hands here. People are adults. So the cool thing is that it has made it accessible to people. People are learning about investing. That's really, really great. So when it comes to the Robinhood IPO, I'm indifferent. You know, when people are like, oh, it's the worst IPO since Uber debuted. Um, Yeah, okay. Like, who cares? Now, again, remember, a lot of investors who are in that company wanted to get their liquidity, meaning like all the VCs, all the early investors, every fucking person on Twitter who says it was such a great thing to be a part of this ride. And you're like, yeah, yeah, dude, you invested like $5,000 in this company. Like the CEO never talked to you again. But yes, you were a big part of it. Early days, you invested when nobody else wanted to invest in the company. You made a ton of money now. Let's just be fucking honest about it. You want to get your shares out because you want to like get your liquidity so you can be rich from your investment. So you're kind of indifferent from whether you think this company is going to be great and how amazing the CEO is or whatever. You're trying to make money. That's your job. You invested early. Now you want to get out. And that's what happens in the IPO a lot is that all the early investors, they have the ability to get their liquidity. And I don't know enough details about this, but I know that when Robinhood was raising a ton of money, when the whole GME thing happened, like there was a lot of hype behind it. Then they got in that trouble when you know they shut down the ability to sell, I, I guess, the stock or buy the stock. And then they had to raise another bunch of money, kind of at a disadvantage when they like had the worst narrative happening on TV. So those early investors who got in, they got a good deal on the company. And that means that, hey, Robinhood needed the money. They knew there was going to be an IPO soon. So you want to clean that cap table. I'm sure those people are like flipping their stock or they've now made money. So if you're coming in as an investment now, you want to see the future of this company. The other thing to mention is that they have this whole new thing around like IPO access. And that basically means giving retail investors access to an IPO. Typically with an IPO, you're basically going to like institutions and banks and high net worth individuals. And there's a certain like prestige and access that you can get to an IPO. Now, I tested this the other day, uh, Duolingo, which is a company that I know a lot of people use. It's a language learning company. I thought they've done a terrific job. It's a great app. I'm just a fan of the company. I didn't really do my research on it, but I just was like, hey, this thing's being offered on Robinhood. 
I'm going to buy five shares. I think it was like 500 bucks. Whatever the price ended up being, I put 500 bucks in. And I just wanted to test it. And I did get my allocation into the IPO for the five shares, which I thought was pretty funny. At the lower end of the range that they gave, they said that there was an estimate between 102 and 120, depending what the IPO was. The IPO price was $102 for Duolingo. So I got five shares at $102. I felt like, okay, that's pretty cool. That's pretty different. It worked really well. I actually really liked that feature. I thought it was pretty dope. The stock popped up 30% at the IPO. I did not sell it. I kept it. I'm still in it now. I think I'm up 38 or 40%. And I'm just going to hang on to this because I'm actually, this is an experiment for the purpose of this podcast. So we'll just keep it and we're going to keep watching it. So there's a great podcast, Josh Brown, Compound and Friends. Um, fantastic podcast. Josh Brown is a great investment analyst, investor, and I just I think everything he puts out is is pretty great and it's actually fun to listen to. And he was even saying he's like if they had done the IPO like in February, this thing would have been bonanza. But obviously they weren't ready to do an IPO. Like to be ready to do an IPO, you have to have all your shit together, all your financials together. There's so much regulatory stuff that you have to go through. So that's kind of it. Look, product wise, cool company. I don't really have a loyalty to any brokerage. You know, I've used Fidelity, I've used Schwab, I've used Robinhood. I just think if you like the user experience, uh, great. And you know that this company can handle any liquidity problems or anything, great. You know, everyone's got a game here. Like, it's all like, how do they market content? Robinhood did a great job. They acquired that Robinhood Snacks podcast. It's like a massive podcast. But let's be honest, it's a content marketing engine to get you to join fucking Robinhood. So everyone's got a game here. In terms of the IPO, Let's just uh, keep watching and, and seeing what happens to the company. I'm curious now when we get quarterly earnings, like what does that look like? The cool thing is like with all these companies in the last eight years are companies that we use on an everyday basis. You got Uber, you have Airbnb, you have Coinbase, you have Robinhood, and they're just now becoming public companies. And so we have this new era of public companies that are like tech companies that we use on a daily basis. And I think it's exciting to watch and see how they grow and like how earnings go for them and, and just watching the space. So that's how I feel about the Robinhood IPO. One to watch. Very interesting and don't really give a shit, but in neutral in Switzerland when it comes to Robinhood. I appreciate what they're doing, but I don't care. Does that make sense? I've got no dog in this fight. I've got no skin in the game. I was an early investor. I don't own the stock, so I'm indifferent whether it goes up or goes down, but I'm just generally curious on how it performs. I think what I'm most interested in is, is this going to stay flat? Like, are we going to see an increase of users on the platform? Or are we going to slowly see a decline based on people's like lack of interest? And then the second thing is, what types of companies are they going to get IPO access to to give to their users? So one could call Robinhood's IPO lackluster or not that successful, simply based on where the stock price went that day, which I don't think really matters, right? Because like we said, an IPO is successful if the shares go up significantly on the day because all this there's this all built-up demand and everybody wants it. In the case with Robinhood, it went down 12%. But then guess what? Over the next couple days, it went up 100%. It, stock is almost doubled from where it was at the IPO price. So if you were like, oh, man, this thing sucks, I'm going to sell it, well, I'm sorry to tell you, you could have doubled your money. And if you were hating on it, well, it doubled its money, and that just goes to show, like, you can't judge it on day one. The game has changed, man. The game has changed because the rules are different. There's new players involved. There's God knows what happens. Like, say that Robin Hood was a, 
not successful IPO, then what happens? It's all over Reddit. People start spreading things around Reddit again on Wall Street bets. Hey, at the end of the day, Robinhood has a really great product. It's really easy to use. They're pushing hard to retail investors. More retail investors want it. What happens when you see a stock go up and everyone's like, oh my God, Robinhood's hot. Robinhood's hot. They start buying it. All those people who are going to short it, well, good luck because this thing's a new meme stock and it's on the rise. And not only that, you have like big institutional names like Kathy Wood of ARK Invest, who's known for buying growth stocks and diving into things and taking large positions into Tesla. She added millions of shares of Robinhood to her portfolio. So I don't know what to tell you, but what a ride, what a ride. So granted, it wasn't a successful IPO by traditional standards. I would call this a pretty successful IPO. If you had the IPO price and you're up now 100%, fucking good for you. If you were trying to flip for 30%, you left a lot of money on the table. So I'm sure a lot of people are kicking themselves in the ass. Game has changed. We'll see what happens in the future. We'll see if this thing sinks more or continues to go up and it's the next GameStop. Who fucking knows? Nothing changed from the IPO till you know now in terms of like what these guys had to offer. Nothing changed besides the narrative. That's the only thing that changed. And a narrative is all that matters now. So that's it for this week. Make sure that you're subscribed to the newsletter, thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. And remember, last week we did a poll on our newsletter whether we thought Jeff Bezos got too much slack for launching himself into space with his big rocket that looked like you-know-what. So the results are in. About 60% of you said yes, and 40% said no. So kind of down the middle. Jeff Bezos misunderstood billionaire Rocket Man, uh, and hopefully we'll add some more polls in the future of the newsletter so we can interact and share things on the podcast. So until next time.